Honey, you remember what I told you before about seeing something outside? Yes. Julia, there's a man out there. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And what, what? What's that? I see. I see. I see a man out there on the distance. Could it be? It's. It's our guest. It's. Our, it's our guest, Richard. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. I'm. I'm here. And I'm you're here. gonna. You're gonna inadvertently um like drift off sometimes when I look away, look at you. When Terry looks, you're not gonna be there. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be a weird yes. night. Mm-hmm. And I'll pull a gun on you at some point. It's gonna get crazy. <laughs> it will be. It will be for sure. <laughs> so yeah. So we have a uh, so special guest uh, uh, Richard on the show here. He is a friend of mine from college. He is a a writer. Uh, I, I, he, he dabbles with the words. He's quite good. He is uh, uh, all around good dude, and he likes uh, cool writings and the Twilight Zone. So I asked him to be on the show, and he was like, "Yes," but he's also like, "We haven't talked for twenty years." I'm like, "Did you want to be on the show or not?" And he was like, "Sure." <laughs> yeah. There. There was no. There was no little niceties about it. I no, like, don't want to talk and all like, that. And he's, he's like, man, I'm busy. I, I got things to do. All yeah. right. Just, I, my people call your people. I had all to right. remind him of who I am. I had to show photos of us together. He's like, I think I remember you. You know, so. <laughs> yes. So. I was always so I, in the distance of photos. Like, we never actually hung out. I was just always in the background. Be like, yeah, we were friends. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, so I, I yeah. appreciate you having me on, Jason. Um, it's really cool of you. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so this is, uh, this is going to be a fun episode. Season five, episode three, nightmare at 20,000 feet before we get into that. Uh, so Richard, tell me, tell me your background with the twilight zone. And also I know you were excited to talk about maths and which we're going to talk about more later, but like what's your, like you, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording. Like what is your association with the twilight zone? And twilight zone. It's, I think it goes back to a lot of the stuff that I used to, like, <clears throat> excuse me, that I read and or eventually ended up reading and watching and whatever is just stuff that my folks would watch on TV. Uh, the whole, all four of us, myself and my sister, my parents would watch. So we'd watch, um, I think mainly it started with amazing stories. I know you guys have covered a couple episodes of those from time to time, but that started out and, and I actually watched the movie before I really got into a lot more of the other episodes of the Twilight Zone, like the older episodes, and especially the ones that were in the movie itself. So, like this one, I had already seen the film before actually watching the episode proper. Yeah, me years too. later. Yeah. So, 
Um, so, so with that being said, though, like I, I know that you you do you do write, and um, I know you also do write short stories. We'll we'll, we'll pimp all that specifically at the end of the episode because people should check it out. Uh, like, what what is um, what is the fascination or the attraction to you of like uh, short form narratives? Um, it. it- there's quick bites. They're really good. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to sit down with uh, you know a big book or watch a good long movie or whatever. But sometimes, if you want that, just that quick thrill, or or, or a really good story told, just in that that good smack or that good hit will get you. And that, that I don't know that's kind of what I really like about that stuff. Like I I almost prefer reading short stories to novels sometimes because I know it's like okay, good, I'll be able to get invested in the characters. And then that story will, their particular story will be told in that short amount of time and kind of goes that way with the Twilight Zone and other shows that have come since then like that. Okay, perfect. So yeah, uh, this will be a fun thing to talk about because like you mentioned the movie and I know also you told me before we started recording that you'd actually read the short story this is, um, that this episode's based on. So you'll have mm-hmm. a basis of knowledge to talk about as well as about Matheson's writing. So this, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. So uh, cool. yeah, yeah, I can't, can't wait to get into it. And also I hope everybody enjoyed our talk about Steel last week uh, about fighting robots. Um, and we're getting Yeah, can some, I say yes, that please. I realize that I've been mispronouncing robot my entire life until yeah, I, you know, started watching the Twilight Sound. Yeah, it's this. I'm robot. pretty embarrassed. We know it's a robot. It's a robot. It, it, it's a, a robot. robot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So, yeah, let's just get into this in proper. Like I said, season five, episode three, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. That's going to make a weird hashtag whenever I try to tweet out. They're not tweet. <laughs> when I try to post the episode later. Uh, uh, air date, uh, October 11th, 1963. Number one song is still Blue Velvet by Bobby Vinton. Um, number one film, the VIPs, we talked about that two episodes ago. It's like a big, it's one of those big where like Hollywood spectacles of like trying to cram as many famous people in as possible. It looks boring as all get out except Orson Welles hamming it up. That looked fun. Um, let's see here. Nothing. I didn't see anything that happened day and date for the 11th. However, um, October 9th, 1963, because we're getting ever so close to, um, that dark day in November, uh, six weeks before the visit of uh, President Kennedy to Dallas, FBI agent Marvin uh, Gisling removed the name Lee R. V. Oswald from the Bureau's watch list of persons requiring surveillance. Um, I would say that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's a fair statement to say there, too. <laughs> probably, probably didn't get a promotion uh, no, a few weeks later, no, I'm, I'm no. guessing. That's, no, seven yeah. weeks later, he was no longer working for the FBI. No, but... Uh, <laughs> It's just, again, it's one of those things that when you go and try to find things, obviously the shadow of this is growing larger and larger until we get to that date. Uh, and it will be, it'll be interesting to see um, what the television landscape is going to be like a little bit uh, once we get into November and past that in terms of the Twilight Zone. Not that I'm saying that the episode can, the episodes can react to it, but it'll be interesting to read like the news around that. Um, just from a, you know, a personal, like historical perspective, but that's the big thing I saw. Um, and that's all I got for day and date. So, and Terry, unless you got something, uh, we can get into the cast and crew. Yeah, I do have for, um, October 10th, uh, that Thursday, um, the second James Bond film came out, uh, from Russia with love. And it opened in the UK that day. Uh, six months later, it would, uh, arrive to the U S finally. That's it's just weird how like I mean I know they still kind of do the staggered film releases well I mean when people aren't dying of plague it's just weird though having like a six months delay for like a big title like that especially after we talked about how uh, what was it Doctor No 
uh, did so well. Was it Dr. No? Was that the first one? I think that was the first yeah, one. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah, mm-hmm. how it did like gangbusters in America. You think they would have pushed that out earlier? But yeah, that's yeah. all I got. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's all I have to. And uh, yeah, to unfortunately coincide with that, I still haven't seen any of the James Bond films. So I'm still, I'm still, uh, Screwing around, I guess. It's October time, so I'm watching everything else outside of James Bond. That's fair. <laughs> like, 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 I think we've talked about that. Like, I've not really went back and watched an earlier Bond. Like, I've seen Goldeneye and some of the other, like the Brosnan things, but the Daniel Craig stuff's really good. Um, but you know, I feel like I it would be it, I'd be remiss if I don't go watch some of the Sean Connery stuff eventually. It's just like Bond isn't necessarily my thing, so I, I'm not I'm not going to judge you for not seeing that stuff yet. Yeah, I, I got to make my way around to it. So I know I'm still disappointing some of our listeners when I say some of that. Uh, but hey, I, I'm I'm only one man here. I got only two eyeballs, so I got <laughs> I got to spend <laughs> I mean, spend my time watching wait. lots of Twilight Zone and lots of horror stuff have, right now. Have so. you seen all the Critters <laughs> films though? Have you seen all the Critters movies? Because if you have and not seen the Bond films, that says a lot though about your preference. I'm sure I've seen all the Critter films <laughs> at one point or another, so I'm a completist when it comes to the Critters, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> that, that takes hardcore commitment right there to watch <laughs> to watch any of the Critters movies, having seen at least the first one. Yeah, but, so. <laughs> I, I've not seen the second one. That, but Was Mick Garrister um, involved in the second one? Uh, maybe. Uh, the second one's a lot of fun. Uh, that, yeah, I think that was the one that he was in, a part of because he was really proud of it being more, you know, if you, if you want to see more tongue in cheek than the others. Yeah. yeah. If you want to see a big ball of critters rolling over people and eating them, it's a, it's a, it's a good time. That's probably it. <laughs> Which might happen in from Russia with love. I don't know. I've not seen it. Maybe there's definitely, I, I have seen that and I, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you never know. <laughs> Upcoming Bond villain. Just saying. Yeah, it's you know? just like, Bond, oh, damn Bond, it. I guess I have to watch it now. <laughs> jet, jet packing away from a rolling ball of critters. So that's where, yes. you know, yeah, that's the, no, that's Thunderball. That's what the Thunderball is. That's uh, that's, oh, damn. <laughs> there's an open joke right there. Yeah. Really it's, you know, a low hanging yeah. fruit. I had to smack it. All right. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> cast and crew, Terry lead the way, please. All right. So first off, we got our director, Richard Donner. I had no idea that he had participated in the Twilight Zone, but I, I it was a treat to see that he he was working on these episodes. So this is the first of six uh, episodes during this season. So we'll talk about those when we get to them. Um, he also worked on The Omen, Superman 1 and 2, but for some reason they tried to leave him off the credits for 2. I need to go back into that story and why. Um, the Richard Pryor film The Toy the Goonies, and of course the Lethal Weapon films. Yeah, well, and also Lady Hawk, and you—I'm uh, sure you would want to mention Scrooged from '88. Like, uh, you know, Richard Donner. Like, I we um, see a lot of really cool directors that have come through watching The Twilight Zone, and it's surprising to me that he hadn't shown up earlier, but he was still kind of up and coming at this point and just working TV. And he—he—he he, uh, he honestly doesn't even know how he got this one, this one job. Um, before you know he did the other five um but like it's cool that we're going to see more of him in this season because then we actually kind of get like a feel for his style so i'm excited for this like i you 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 uh, watching films can't say that you're not a fan of some of his stuff some of his output's not great but i mean if you make enough things you know you're going to have some hits and misses right like but yeah I, i i forgot that he was actually involved in the twilight zone this was a fun fun discovery 
Yeah, definitely. Especially when I have such a an affection for some of his movies and that um, it was a real treat to see he had worked on this. And we actually may talk about him outside of the Twilight Zone in the future because he did three episodes of, of uh, Tales from the Crypt as well. Wonderful. He was yeah. He was also a producer on Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. So I you know, got him got to mention anytime I get a chance to mention Billy Zane being a demon, I got to just mention it. You mean hopefully future friend of show Billy Zane? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm happily married, but if he, you know, if he wanted to like ask me out, I'd say yes because Billy Zane's a you know a well placed uh, person in Hollywood and just an attractive man, you know. So uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You, you can quote me. My position on Billy Zane will not change. Yeah, uh, we're waiting, Billy. Um, so. <laughs> so, so Richard, any thoughts now. about my uh, wife's going to come up to me? What, what did you learn during the episode? Well, my friend Paul has a man crush on Billy Zane. It's not a man crush; it's, it's, a, it's an undying love. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, that that does make a big difference. So. He was the but yeah, phantom. I to, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have any thoughts about Richard Donner? I mean, I know. That, um, yeah, well, I wanted to comment uh, a little before this that it, it seems that Rod Serling, you know, had really. Um, you know, no talent whatsoever of picking out, you know, directors or writers or actors that would really go on to do anything else <laughs> other than just some ratty old TV show. You know, I mean, Richard Matheson, the, the actor in this, what, what's his name again? Like Bob? Yeah, Bob, Bob Shatman. Yeah. Bob uh, Shatman, well, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't, well, it's never funny. heard of that guy again. So It's yeah. funny you say that because uh, the producer, because certainly lost a lot of creative control from seasons three to four. And he had a huge fight with one of the main producers of season four. And the guy eventually stepped away because he and Sterling butted heads so much. And I think that gentleman's name is produced now. is like Burt Garnett, which he, he and Sterling got along, but Sterling didn't really get to okay. A lot of things going forward in season five. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Matheson, he'd worked with previously. He liked him and we'll always encourage him to write for us. I don't know who found Donner, but good on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he was a real like diamond in a rough at that point because, like you said, he did a lot of TV work, but his future was uh, definitely coming up. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we were able to have him do this episode, too, because it really shows um, his capabilities off really well. So I, I can't wait to see what the next five episodes bring us. So um, and now we will move on to the fact that Richard Matheson is back. He's back in the saddle again. We're going to have more of him coming up. Um, I think we've talked uh, quite a bit about uh, Richard Matheson. What what really is your uh, uh, affection for uh, uh, for Mr. Richard Matheson, Richard? Well, I want some Richard on Richard talk, please. Go ahead. Yes. Well, well, um, yeah, probably mainly I got into him and kind of like I've gotten to other writers because of Stephen King. Mm -hmm just raving about Richard Matheson and making no bones whatsoever that he was heavily influenced from Matheson. And if you read anything by Richard Matheson, you're like, oh yeah, that that's where it all came from. Or at least that's where a lot of it came from. Just the settings in your smaller towns, bringing horror to, I guess if you'd say suburban or even rural America, depending on the stories. So, and, and Matheson stuff and, and, uh, is really... Like, really good and really punchy. But kind of what I was saying about the uh, short-form stories in general before. But And I'll even mention this as we talk about the episode, too. It's like he knew how to 
like one thing you're told when you're in writing classes and even in your English classes, you know, show don't tell, show don't tell. Well, Matheson was a just a genius at that, especially in this story. And now I've actually written down some examples I want to give a little later on just to kind of show back and forth of how he did it in the written form as opposed to how it was shown on the, on the uh, actual episode. So, but yeah, Matheson's a great, great writer. I can't recommend you people reading him enough, especially if you like Twilight Zone. Yeah. I I like that. He's very approachable. Like I'm not saying like, I mean, meaning that he writes in a way that like anybody can pick it up and read it and get what he's getting at. Not that, not that I'm saying that other, you know, short horror writers are impenetrable or anything. I just, he was very matter of fact with his writing and that's where I think a lot of the cool horror aspects would come out because you're having this very like straightforward writing style. And so then like, it's almost like you can't look away from what he's presenting because you're it just, it's very like when, he, when King raves about him, I feel like King style is also very straightforward of like, I'm telling you the story. You can't look away from the horror. And I think Matheson mm-hmm. does that really well too. Like I've not read the story and I know you did, so that's good. But like I read like, you know, what was it? I am legend. Um, you know, what dreams may come. Yes. Uh, like I've read yeah. some <laughs> of his other short stories too. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate his writing style. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, really wonderful stuff that he has. And, and not just horror too. That's one of the things with him. He was one of those guys where kind of in this, I guess this golden age of fiction writing, if you want to, I don't know if you'd call it that necessarily, but it was still, it was before that the magazines proper that just only held fiction, just kind of trickle or kind of went away. But he was one of those guys that was, he did horror, but he also did fantasy and he also did sci-fi and then eventually went and did some Western stuff and some crime. So he was, he could pretty much write whatever he wanted and he did do that. Yeah. So we're all fans of Mr. Matheson yes. and it's exciting to, to get into one, one of the, the high watermarks of the series, right? Cause this is like when Richard and I were talking before we started recording, uh, when we're having secret talks where Terry came in about how like, <laughs> when, when, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, it, about how, when people think of the twilight zone, like this is one of those episodes. So, uh, to have Donner as the director, to have Matheson as the writer and to have this cast, it's, it's, it's like, Considering this is taking place on a, an airplane that's having like some choppy weather, this is the perfect storm of an episode. Oh, look at that puns guy. intended again. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have All my moments. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Let's get into this cast. Like the the lead actor, I never heard of him. So, where are we at with this? All right. So we got Bob Shatner. Mister William Shatner has made his second appearance in the Twilight Zone. Uh, the other appearance was also in. Uh, Nick of Time, it's season two, episode seven. Also written by Matheson. It's a fun one. It's the one with uh, the devil-headed uh, fortune teller machine. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I think most people would know him from most of the iterations of Star Trek. T.J. Hooker. Um, oh yeah, Star Trek. Yes. I was going to say Kingdom <laughs> of the Spiders. I mean, what would you <laughs> star what? Yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> No, so uh, lots of Star Trek, uh, all all Star Trek for the most part uh, when it comes to the earlier years, it seems like. Uh, T.J. Hooker, lots of that, and lots of Boston Legal. So those were his like, big, big uh, uh, you know showcases where he was on like dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think there's like a lot of people who wouldn't know who William Shatner is. I mean, he's made appearances in, uh, you know, American psycho two. He was in miscongeniality. I mean, he's in a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think here is like peak Shatner almost, right? Where it's like he's a good looking dude and he actually has a presence. And also his um his stilted delivery works perfect for this episode. Like he, they, some of sometimes people will, it's it's the easy Shatner impersonation, right? Where you pause mid sentence, but for having a guy being um, potentially unmoored, this he's the he's the best actor for some of this dialogue. So, like this this is you can see why he was cast as a lead in Star Trek because of this. Yeah, it's almost like uh, having the way that he delivers uh, his lines. Uh, if it feels like he has some trauma that has happened to him in the past, and it feels more believable while he's delivering the lines. So yeah. I agree with that. So yeah. So uh, and I was going to say I have to uh, really say that, and this is even almost, and and what you were saying, Paul, it wasn't it's slightly still to delivery. I think it was even pulled back a little bit, a little more subdued, which, um, which shocked me <laughs> whenever I watched this because I immediately think, of course, you know the, the of all the uh, imitations of Shatner or whatever. I'm thinking, oh man, you know, how, how's he going to do in this role? And then I, I, I watched uh, in a wonderful interview with Richard Matheson. It, it's, if you can find it, which you should be able to, it's on interviews.televisionacademy.com and do the search for Richard Matheson, the great three hour interview with him speaking about various topics, but also about this episode, he was talking about, he really liked, He's like, oh, I really like Bill Shatner's version, like they're best buddies or whatever. But at any rate, <laughs> he said he really loved Shatner's performance of this. I'm thinking, man, how, how can you really like Shatner? Because you immediately think over the top and crazy, whatever else. And then I watched the episode. I thought, oh, my God, he was like lights out. I, I was stunned by how it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be and how almost subdued he was and slowly built his way up to what it eventually come in the episode. So, well, it's why you say that because like he, you talk about him being like, you know, constantly being over the top. Uh, and there's probably a, there's a production reason for why he might be a little subdued. And we'll talk about that at the end, uh, which mm-hmm. plays to the strength of the episode, uh, during, um, the filming of wrath Khan, I forget the director, but he would make Shatner do like, like take after take after take after take just to wear him out, just to get like a, a more even keeled line delivery and, oh. and Shatner was getting pissed. Cause like, <laughs> so this is like, I like they hadn't, people hadn't gotten his number quite yet, but he's really good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, Terry, who, who else we got here? Okay. We got Christine white who plays, uh, Julia Wilson, uh, Bob's, uh, wife. Uh, one other appearance in the twilight zone, the prime mover. Yeah, all I got for her is uh, she was in an episode of uh, Hawaiian Eye. That's a got that. It's just that's a that's a running running gag through all of our episodes. Uh, no Johnny Midnight references this week, though. That's unfortunate. But Hawaiian Eye, just gotta throw that out there. And she was also in the movie uh, Magnum Force with uh, uh, Clint with uh, Clint Eastwood. So derp. <laughs> I don't know why I forgot that because I love I love all the Dirty Harry films. So. Clint Eastwood's the man. So uh, next we have Ed Kemmer, um, flight engineer, uh, 181 episodes of Space Patrol, and an episode of Hawaiian Eye. Yes. Uh, so evidently, <laughs> like the 51 through 56 Space Patrol, the the one of the bits of trivia is like, well, there was a guy who was in a previous sci-fi series being in one with Shatner here. It's like, okay, people work, but whatever. Uh, but he was also <laughs> like mentioned Hawaiian Eye. 
I found this trivia. I couldn't verify it. He was the real life model for Prince Philip and Sleeping Beauty. That doesn't surprise me. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I, <laughs> I, all right, cool. Well, I mean, because they would have a lot credit. of they'd have a lot of like actual actors stand in while they did the animation, and they would actually film them moving around so they could actually do the frame by frame animation, which is kind of like primitive motion capture. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me they brought like if 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 he was the one tagged for that, cool. I mean, it, it, they did do that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Huh. Yeah. So, um, so uh, next we have Aza uh, Maynard. Uh, she was the stewardess in this episode. Um, she was also in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and an episode of Hawaiian Eye. We got a lot of Hawaiian Eye appearances in this one. When some episodes we don't get anybody. Yeah, it's a so, bummer. There you go. <laughs> but the, here's the true <laughs> bummer. I can't find an episode of Hawaiian Eye out there. That's what we need to find out, though. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's all I got for her, too. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, the next part, so we, the rest of it's going to get a little loose here cause there's not many speaking parts. So who else do you have? Uh, Leon Alton. Uh, he plays one of the passengers, 269 credits. Most of them I didn't know, but he was also in the printer's devil, uh, uh, season four episode of twilight zone and Batman, the movie and chamber of horrors. Nice. Yeah. I just, I wrote 269 credits, professional background guy. It's a living, you know, you get paid to wear a suit and be and hang out. Cool. Uh, you know, so that's what I got for him. Uh, do you have, do you have anybody else? Yeah, I, I actually have two more credits here. So David Armstrong, he plays another passenger. He was in four other episodes of uh, Twilight Zone. The Mind and the Matter to Serve Man, The Trade-Ins, I Sing the Body Electric. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. They're all uncredited, but... Hey, again, five episodes of the Twilight Zone. That's five more than me, so kudos. <laughs> and then our gremlin from this episode, or whatever it is, Spoiler. Uh, is played by... <laughs> it's a, sorry. <laughs> so, oh, man. Kravet. Kravet? What's his Kravet. name? Uh, Kravat. Uh, Nick uh, Kravat? 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 Nick Gremlin. Kravat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I honestly didn't know any of the credits that he had, he had been in. I did. I've never seen anything that he was in. So, but he was the gremlin in this or whatever. So <laughs> he and Burt Lancaster, uh, like they, they, um, were friends early on. They had a comedy duo and they, they like kind of like a vaudeville type act kinda. Right. And Lancaster hurt his hand at one point. So they couldn't go on to do that. But Lancaster, whenever he got on to be like a bigger movie star would always bring Nick in, uh, to be in like bit roles, uh, and also because Nick's very acrobatic, which pays off in this episode and actually does a lot of physicality things, which, you know, we'll talk about his ability to move around in the suit. But he did do some things that I don't think many other people would be qualified to do or um, not scared out of their mind to do. Um, and so, you know, kind of like a shorter dude. Uh, and also the reason he was cast in these movies with Lancaster, he was usually cast as uh, characters that were mute. Because he had a really <laughs> thick Brooklyn accent, so you couldn't that, really put him a little bit of in. Oh, yeah. sorry, that's a little bit of information I could find on him. Yeah, it's like you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't really put him in a period piece with him talking like you know a five foot four Brooklyn dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just wish he would have talked like a Brooklyn like guy on the wing, and like I can't do accents, but it has been funny. I've been like, oh my gosh, there's a gremlin. Oh, and he's a Yankee fan. What's going on? I don't understand yeah. that. You know. <laughs> 
but yeah, so that's our cast. Uh, yeah, that's it. So let's uh, let Sterling take it away, and we'll talk about the episode uh, improper. Portrait of a frightened man, Mr. Robert Wilson, 37, husband, father, and salesman on sick leave. Mr. Wilson has just been discharged from a sanitarium, where he spent the last six months recovering from a nervous breakdown, the onset of which took place on an evening not dissimilar to this one, on an airliner very much like the one in which Mr. Wilson is about to be flown home. The difference being that on that evening half a year ago, Mr. Wilson's flight was terminated by the onslaught of his mental breakdown. Tonight, he's traveling all the way to his appointed destination, which, contrary to Mr. Wilson's plan, happens to be in the darkest corner of the Twilight Zone. With layovers in Denver, uh, Houston, and Chicago, weirdly enough. No. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, Richard, you're the guest. Start us off. Where's this episode? Where, where are we at with this? Where's it start? Well, it starts with um, everyone getting on the plane. Good answer. Uh, Good answer. Yes. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, it starts with um, Robert Wilson and his wife boarding a plane after. Um, then you later or shortly thereafter find out that he had been had himself a nervous breakdown. And it seemed to have, I guess, according to Serling, it happened while he was on his last plane ride. And um, I'm yeah. out, folks. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, just like I, I. So I just want to point out, like the 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 people boarding the plane, all of them were are wearing like their Sunday best, like the suits and dresses, because uh, you know remember when flying used to be like like it was, it was like this elegant thing. Um, I, I don't know how much you guys have flown. Um, I've never worn a shirt and tie on a plane. I've been lucky just to have like a, like you know a t shirt and shorts and like a headset. Yeah, it's, that's where I'm at too. I never wore a suit and tie on a, on a plane at all. The last time I was on a plane, I was I think I was 16. So yeah, that would have not been part of my garb at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's just like it was like this. There's this little like glamour to this, right? And so I, I put my notes here. Remember when people used to get dressed up for flying? And then I also wrote, remember when you could smoke on planes? Also, remember when seats were comfortable? Like like everything <laughs> on this plane, even though it's like this like tiny metal tube, like the seats seem like wide and comfortable. And like, and then you also have, you, you also have Bob, like before, like they're sitting down as they're talking, like he's starting to like light up a cigarette and his wife's like, oh, you can't smoke yet. <laughs> so yeah, different times. Um, but from the jump though, you, the way that this thing is shot, obviously this is actually shot in, um, like a, it, it, the, the actual body of a plane. Cause it's actually there. We'll get into the production of it a little bit later, but like it's, it automatically feels claustrophobic and we're focused on Bob and you can tell he's uneasy from the get go. And, you know, it, it also credit to, um, to his wife that she's like trying to be there and be supportive for him. And they're trying to have like a little bit of like, not idle chit chat, but like, you know, it's almost like, um, if you get on like a roller coaster or something and you know, the person beside you isn't entirely comfortable, you try to talk to them a little bit before you get into the ride to kind of like calm them down a bit. And I think that's what she was kind of doing with him, just to let him know things are fine. But he, you can tell that he's okay only so far, you know? And Shatner does a good job of showing that. Yeah, even as they walk up to their seats, um, he seems a little uncomfortable to be sitting in the seat that he is. Um, he, his wife suggests, well, do you want to sit in the aisle seat and I'll sit next to the window? He's like, no, it's fine. I'll, it, I'll deal with it. 
And as he's sitting down, he also notices that it's also the emergency exit window. And that looks to be a little uncomfortable for him as well. But, you know, he he deals with it again. He sits down. He, you know, that's when he tries to light up the cigarette and get, maintain composure. Um, but you can tell this is going to be not a fun journey for him. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. even even whenever he's like um like kind of get settled in like whenever like was the co-pilot or whatever like closes the hatch like the door behind you hear that thunk and he kind of jumps a little bit um you know you could tell that's like bothering him and then there's also like I don't know how to describe it like I called it a worm's eye view zoom like the way the camera kind of moves up and like looks up at his face a little bit like there's a really cool push-ins on him that also one zero in on him and his uncomfortability, but also make you uncomfortable looking at him, uh, or, or for him, I should say. And credit to Donner, because again, how many different directions can you get a camera running through like the set, you know, to to make this work? But like from the jump, you could have shot this very static. The entire episode's pretty pretty uh, dynamic in how it shows his his um, shifting perspective. I'm yeah, glad thought, that they didn't show. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Richard. No, no, no. You go ahead. You go ahead with your. I was going to say that I'm. I'm glad that the all the shots were actually done from the interior. They didn't show the outside world, and I think that kind of uh, escalates how Bob is feeling at this point. Like we only see Bob in the in in the plane, and he only experiences the plane. It just it adds to that tension. I think. Yeah, it really helps show the claustrophobia that's within the that uh, feels as soon as he gets in the plane itself. And um, uh, one thing I'll say right now, the the whole mental breakdown uh, or the nervous breakdown and the wife as a character weren't in the story whatsoever. Hmm. And not to be the guy that, you know, oh, this is why the story this is. But I actually think it works very well for the show for the program, having them having that in there, I think the, the nervous breakdown adds a little more characterization and having the wife there is, you know, a really good sounding board for the character and just, they can bounce things off, you know, back and forth off of each other. Whereas in the story, you know, he, you can only show so much. You, you could start it with, well, he was scared, but this is back to my point about Matheson being, you know, so great with showing, not telling the, first thing that it starts describing is you know outside one of the engines coughed monstrously and then the second engine coughed and roared and then with a tense submissiveness wilson fastens the seat of the belt across his lap and then his head throbbed in unison with the fuselage and you know just like little things like that the sound already loud became deafening waves of sound that crashed against wilson's ears like club blows so you know he's already getting geeked out and well once the plane takes off he's like He's describing 15 minutes later, he tosses his newspaper aside. He pressed out his third cigarette since takeoff. <laughs> so like dude blew through three smokes already. And, you know, five minutes apiece. Like, whoa, whoa, man, you gotta, he, so, he's definitely on edge without saying he's on edge. What's his grounding in terms of like, I mean, his, obviously the, when you talk about the short story, his apprehension about flying, uh, is it like, did he have the, like you said, the breakdown portion wasn't part of that story. No, it it didn't even mention that. It actually kind of leads more to uh, maybe he's on his way to having a, a breakdown, but even more so, he's depressed. And and 
Um, I could maybe get into that a little later. Okay. That's... Well, well, credit credit to Matheson writing the the teleplay for this because I mean oh. this isn't obviously his first uh, you know script for the Twilight Zone that he could take a second pass and also kind of when you talk about show not telling, it yeah. does work to have you say the sounding board to have some dialogue because you can't have that constant internal. Like, I mean, you can, but like, um, like I'll give an example. Exactly. Sorry. I, oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you off. I apologize. I'm, no, 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 I'm through my third smoke right now. Uh, so, uh, um, like I'm just sure, I'm not sure what's going to happen this episode. I just hear it's just pounding in my head. Uh, Please. there's um the season two episode one it's the king nine will not return and it's this guy waking up um after his his uh, army plane had crashed and he doesn't his crew isn't there but the plane's there and even though he does kind of talk his way through it a lot of it is just him there's also like a mental dialogue that you hear a voiceover of him trying to suss out what's going on and that worked mm-hmm. for that because it's more of a desolation piece i think it's better to get um shatner talking to his wife because with the setup of him having a breakdown, which, by the way, like, how often do we, like, let's just take a step back. How often do we hear about people having nervous breakdowns now? I think it's because men weren't allowed to talk about their feelings back then, and then yeah. it would just explode. Mm-hmm. I think because this isn't the first time we run into people in the Twilight Zone that have these mental breakdowns and have to go away for six months. Like, I, you know, I know people that have you know, we all deal with our own mental issues and some people have it worse than others and it does reach a boiling point. I've just never had a situation of like, oh yeah, did you hear, did you hear about Terry? He, he's gone for six months. What happened? He just exploded at work and we don't know what happened. You know? So, sorry Terry, I name dropped you like you were going to do that, but please, please don't come after me when that happens. Uh, uh, knock on wood, it doesn't happen <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> I mean, Terry, did you have a nervous breakdown? What? What happened? <laughs> did you see a gremlin on a plane? Tell us the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably more uh, likely to have the breakdown because of COVID and everything, but not a gremlin. So fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, the virus is out in the wind. No, I can see it. It's it's more, it's less than six feet away, people. Yeah. Anyway, <gasps> please. Uh, but yeah, I just um, I, I think it's an interesting point. The separation of the story. Uh, so uh, Terry, did you have a point you want to make? Because I, I think we're getting into the Sterling bit here. No, I, I was uh, going to agree with you. It doesn't seem like that's talked about very often in television, especially around this time where um, they explain that somebody will go to a sanitarium and then come back out. Yeah. Like they would, they would like, oh yeah, they went to the loony bin, but like here we get somebody who is actually trying to get actual help and then come back out on the other side. But we can see that, these people that are possibly dealing with these kinds of demons are not all the way cured either. So, um, and that's what Bob's character is. Bob has gone through the rehabilitation and knows that he still has some things that he has to work over. And that's where the cigarettes are kind of a crutch for him too. He has some kind of PTSD. We don't know what his job is and we don't know if he has a military background. He kind of speaks to like things he heard, but we don't know if he was in the war or what. But there's a lot mm-hmm. there that he's not talking to. He's just trying to reassure his wife he's fine, you know. So I think that's a bigger thing too. That I think the 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 further we get along from the episode, and the more we're more consciously aware of mental health, there's a lot of this that kind of speaks louder than maybe was intended at the time. But that's kind of what I think about it when I'm looking at it. Um. Anyway, so Serling, I just want to point mm-hmm. out we. I'm happy that he's actually showing up again in the episodes and not just a great background. But he he when they cut to him, it's it's that that whip pan to him like on the ground near like you know a chain link fence with a like a sign pointing someplace. I just want to point out that Serling knows what's about to happen on the airplane and is nowhere near it. 
Like, I just want to point that out that he's like, I know what's about to happen. I'm good on the ground. Cool. Here's your show. It's not like he stepped out of the back of the can or anything, you know. <laughs> that, I, <laughs> I wish he would have been on the wing. Like, just in the episode. <laughs> oh, because that's always the great fun part of like, we're certainly going to show up. But here it's like he's firmly on the ground. He's like, all right, here's this flight. It's going to get weird. I'm going to go hang out in the lounge and hit on some stewardesses. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, I, I wish we could have seen him flying the plane. Honestly, what? <laughs> that, that would, I thought that would have been pretty sweet. He'd been in the cockpit and turned around. Yeah, that'd be great. Like he, like he gets away. He's like, uh, "Hello, everybody. Uh, today's flight's going to be uh, like." And he just does the intro from there. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, all right. Get we're uh, past the intro here, and uh, Terry, where are we at next? Okay, so we have Bob uh, trying to read a newspaper. His wife has dozed off for a little bit, and. Uh, he, he, he wakes his wife up accidentally because, uh, he's trying to fasten her, her belt because the stewardess comes through and, you know, tells everybody they got to fasten her belt. And I think it's because outside there's a storm, uh, brewing up. And so when he wakes her, she's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. Whatever. You know, it's, it's no problem. She's like, well, you should probably get some sleep. He's like, I'll, I'll work on that, but I'm going to read this newspaper for a little bit. Again, I think it's like a nervous tick for him. If it's something that he's focused on, then maybe he can relax a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. maybe he'll catch some Z's afterwards. Yeah, but that's not what happens, right? So what what happens next? (laughs) Yeah, he uh, he as he's twisting his paper over to read the other side, he catches a glance outside and looks at the wing and he he notices something moving about out there and he focuses in a little bit further and he sees that there's a figure walking on the wing coming a little bit closer to the window and he can make it out that it's it's a humanoid it's something humanoid on the wing of the plane and he tries to get the uh, the the stewardess well actually he looks at his wife like he's going to talk to his wife but you can't get the words out. It seems like it, it looks like it's too difficult for him to want to wake up his wife. I don't know if he's maybe that's the the stress that he's dealing about. He doesn't want to wake his wife up at the wrong time and get smacked. But he gets the <laughs> stewardess over there, and um, as soon as the stewardess arrives to his seat area, um, the creature is gone. The, the humanoid is gone, and she of course is like, "The hell are you talking about?" And this is when his wife wa- uh, wakes up and says there was a man there's a man on the wing uh, i don't know I, I know it sounds crazy but there's someone out there and of course when they look there there's nothing there this and like of the course, first time we see the the thing in the distance that's the most effective shot right because it's like it's still shrouded in fog and darkness and it's just like walking forward that to me is the scariest part where it's just undiscernible like and it, it's really effective to show that I, I cut you off. I apologize. Um, no, but, yeah. I, that's a that's a very good point. Uh, I I agree with you completely. This was definitely one of those scenarios where, if they didn't think that they had something that looked, I mean, stellar on film, they probably should have left it so more that much more elusive and in a background. Yeah, but they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard, you were going to say something? Oh, no, I was just, I was just going to say, and kind of the way that the, the whatever he 
whatever he ultimately sees, you know, starts moving along the wing, still in the fog. It, it even mentions in the story itself that he's sitting there and he, he thinks that it's a dog or a cat. And he thinks, Oh my God, this poor dog or cat somehow got onto the wing. You know, what the hell, what, what, what's going on here? And then he realizes once it gets even closer and through the fog that he, he's like, what? It's a man. All his clothes blow off. What the hell? And, and then we get called over or the stewardess gets called over. So yeah. Uh, yeah. so, so at that point, I like it, uh, whatever. It's like, take a sleeping pill. And he's like, yeah. And I, I put in my notes, remember when uh, uh, water was served in paper cups and you could get sleeping pills <laughs> on a plane? Like, you can't even ask for aspirin now because they can't give it to you. You know, like, I, I know that they can give you they can give you peanuts, but they can't give you drugs. Um, so that was great. It's like, oh, wait, you guys can just give me downers while I'm on this plane. Please do so. Like here, here's a quaalude. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's sixty three. We don't even know what this is. We just know that it, it it calms women down. Just eat it. It's fine, you know. Like, um, and then the paper cup. Like we were like Richard and I were talking about that before we started recording. It's like what what's up with the paper cup? Like I don't understand. Like it's not what we know now. It's like this weird. It looks like they took like um whatever you keep like thumbtacks and dump that out and then put water in it and bring it to you. It was weird. Maybe maybe that's actually more earth friendly. I just anytime I've ever drank water out of a paper cup, I've been in a dentist's office and it's always disgusting. I think what they did is they had a piece of the script and they're like, Oh, oh <laughs> freak, we don't we don't have something to put we don't have something to put the water in. They just folded a cup like, real quick. Here, can you drink out of the of swan? Like, okay, fine. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, Shatner's got to hold it with both hands. And ask the guy in front of him, "Could you hold this too? Let's get all over my pants." Yeah, Help me it's out. like it's like he has to dump his cigarettes out and hold open the pack. He's like, "Okay, fine, I'll take some water. It's fine." Um, yeah. So yeah. So then he, you know, like they give him the pill, and uh, and but also there's this curtains on the the plane windows too, which I kind of missed that too. Like, why can't we have curtains on planes now? That'd be great. But I mean, they have those little shutters, but curtains, you know, it'd feel more homey. Um, this is a great bit whenever he, 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 there's this like tension of him looking at the curtain and he goes to pull it back and there's this great music, like just boom of the music. And that's when the walkers like right up against it, the window staring at him. Right. That, I think that's when that happens. Uh, and then we see it like it, you know, it's face and fully and it's, it's like, <laughs> It's kind of weird looking, like it's kind of funny now, but but I'm putting myself in the position of this actor, or sorry, this character. I don't care what's out there. If there's a face looking at me, no matter how goofy it is, I'm peeing myself. Let's just be honest. <laughs> the, the music cue is amazing, too, because I'm sitting there taking my notes, and I knew the scene was coming up because I had watched it one time prior to this. And I've seen the movie where the same storyline is, uh, it's in the movie. And I still almost pissed myself when I heard the music cue, <laughs> like I'm not even looking at the screen, but I hear the music and it just, I jump and I'm like, it's still effective. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, and I, I forgot to mention earlier when we did cast and crew, the music from this is actually featured from, um, previous episodes. Cause they'll do that where they'll write a score and like, um, there's some Bernard Herman stuff in here too, which he's great. But yes, uh, I mentioned the King Nine will not return music from that, and also the Rip Van Winkle caper. But there's some other stuff here too because Bernard Herman's scores, like once they make them, you could put them in any episode, and I'm down. But the music that was not necessarily tailored for this episode works wonderful for this episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, like you're saying, the the curtains being drawn back, 
Uh, I love that there is curtains because it it, it gives the scene uh, like more character because he throws him back and there's the creature right outside outside the window, and it's just it's just looking at him almost like puzzled to see him, and of course uh, Bob is terrified to see whatever the hell that is on the other side. And we know at this point now it's not a man. It's and if it is, he's in a really unusual costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like too that they didn't just um, really waste any time with him looking out and then not seeing anything out there and then pulling it close and then reopening it again. It's like you get that like that real good hit right then and there. And like you said, the music is really on point. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, like it gets a, just yeah, that first time, it's like, oh well, there really is something out there that I can't see. So, which that's about the halfway point in the episode, so that's good mm-hmm. because you only have a short runtime. So you gotta, if you're gonna ratchet the tension, just get it going, right? But so yeah. I, I should mention that William Tuttle uh, made uh, made the mask for this, and I'm not sure. I think they found the actual bodysuit from like another prop on another set, which that doesn't surprise me. Uh, and they just kind of <laughs> used that, but the mask is William Tuttle did um, the prosthetics for Eye of the Beholder with the pig faces. You can see a lot of that in this, mm. um, which it wouldn't surprise me if it was like, hey, we'll just take the pig face and make it less pig face. And they're like, okay, we'll just reduce it by 20%. Got it. We're good. Um, so it, it's effective enough. I just like the look on his face, though, because of the way the mask is on the actor's face, when he's looking at Bob, it's like you, Bob's like, oh, it's a wing walker. And I wanted the creature to be like, oh, it's a plane insider. Like he just seems as confused <laughs> about Bob as Bob is as him. You know? <laughs> like there's a bit because then after that, he ends up floating away, which is a really effective effect, how he just kind of stands and kind of drifts off. That makes it kind of like nightmare like, which I know that's the name of the episode. Um, mm. It's just a weird it's a, it's a cool effect where it shows him drifting off because it doesn't make physical sense for the height and the speed of the plane. And that makes it creepier. But there's a bit when he comes back and he just kind of turns and looks at Bob whenever he's like starting to screw around with one of the engines and like Bob's staring at him. And it's like the body position of the wing walker. It's just like, I got put in my notes. It's like, come on, man, I'm just trying to work here. Like, why are you staring at me? Like, that's what it looks like. It just, he's just staring at Bob and like, I'm doing my job. Leave me alone. It was, I thought it was great. Let's just open the engine. See what's in here. There's a light in here. I don't know why there's a light in the engine, but I'm going to just touch stuff. I love the little bit, though, where it gets up by the propeller and is playing with the propeller like a chimp. Like, it sticks its finger towards the propeller, and it looks like it may have gotten nicked by the propeller and pulls it back and kind of looks at its finger, looks at the propeller, like, huh, that kind of hurt. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool thing, like, because they, they, they actually had a prop running of some sort, right? Because... They had to because the way they shot this. So I'm sure it was shot in perspective, but credit to the actor to sell that. That's very effective. And you're right. It's like it's there's a curiosity here. So there isn't like a direct hostility, but it still wants to mess with things, which I have two cats. It happens. Yeah. And that kind of goes beat by beat with a story, too. Like at first, whenever uh, Wilson sees him through the window and, and he does the whole routine, really, you know, it isn't there. It isn't there. It isn't there. He opens his eyes. But what's what I almost liked a little better about the story, and I guess you really couldn't do with uh, you know the uh, mask that they had on the actor, the creature is actually even more so aware of Wilson because he smiles at him. I think that's mm. really really sinister that it just grins at him and then it goes and starts mess- messing with the plane. Well, that's kind of what happens in the movie, right? Like 
it just yeah. kind of looks and has mm-hmm. like the, we'll talk more about the movie I guess later but we're, we're going to cover the movie at some point on the show because um, this was the last story that we had not gotten to yet before we were going to talk about Twilight Zone the movie because we were going to kind of wait till we got past everything but that wing mm-hmm. walker how it just kind of turns and looks at John Lithgow and just brings its claws in it's I think that's similar maybe it's not a smile but there's definitely a purposeful menace that I don't get from this from this character yeah, it's like this one, and and, and that's also men, excuse me mentioned a little bit in the story. It's like it seems like what he's doing, like to the point of the, you know, touching the uh, propeller or whatever. It's like this childlike curiosity. I think was the phrase that Matheson had used that uh, Wilson noticed him doing. So it's like, well, while he's destroying the plane, it's like, well, if it wasn't on a plane, it'd be kind of cute. But it's on my plane that I'm on, and that's not cool. <laughs> so yeah, so. <laughs> So yeah, that, I thought that whole sequence of him drifting off, coming back, and then opening up the engine portion and looking at it again, I thought that kind of worked. Uh, and then um, that's whenever uh, Bob wakes up his wife again, right, to try to tell her like this is this is what's going on, right? And cre- credit to to Julia uh, Christine White, like she has, you can see the expression on her face of like this is my husband, I love him, but there's this like kind of like fear on her face of like, Oh God, he's doing it again. Yeah. You can see her eyes like really widening and her lips are completely straight, but pressed together almost to the point that they're, you know, white. that you could see just the tenseness in her though. But she's like, yes, dear. Yeah, sure. I think her hair gained some volume as said, as soon as he said it too. (laughs) (laughs) She gives gives the stewardess um, a weird smile when she asked for the sleeping pill, did you guys notice that she looks up at the stewardess and just has like this, like, like you talk about a creepy smile, of the wing walker. I don't trust the smile of her that happened there. <laughs> it was weird, but you're right. Her, her hair. Uh, I mean, again, you know, maybe that's a defensive reaction. Like, you know, like an animal puffing itself up. Like, I don't know, but, but you could tell that she's struggling to be there for him, but there's also, you got it. Like you could tell that like she had just been away. They've been a, apart from each other for six months and she had like held down the fort, took care of everything and waited for him to get better. So of course, you know, there's always going to be that one foot out the door of like, I care about this person, but this has happened before. And I think she does a good job of showing you that she does care and wants to believe that he's upset but may not believe what he's saying. And I think there's some nuance there that doesn't always come through uh, in the Twilight Zone in this time because actors don't always have that kind of uh, range. But she did a good job with this. Right. It's the kind of whole... uh, Sorry, go ahead, Terry. I was just... uh, I was going to agree. I I think that there isn't a whole lot of time to to let this uh, relationship breathe and to tell exactly what had transpired in the past, but you know that it's tolling on their relationship. She had to watch the kids while he was away and he is very apologetic. And I think that this really is that scenario where she doesn't want to give up on the dude. Um, but he also doesn't know how to explain to her that he's not going insane right now. Yeah. Cause what he, what he kind of says to himself and you can see, and, and this is why I thought Shatner was fantastic in this is you can see that as he's explaining to what he's seeing out there, that the more he talks about it, the more he's like, oh, well, I see this thing out there and well, I can, you know, uh, 
I know that sounds crazy. And he even says that. And I like that he acknowledges that. And you can hear him just kind of winding himself down because he realizes like, yeah, I know I sound like I'm going nuts again, but I'm telling you, it, there's a dude out there. Yeah. And and so he ends up like asking her, like, please just go talk to the flight engineer, tell them what I'm seeing. And he was like, if I'm wrong, I'll recommit myself. If I'm right, he kind of drifts off basically being like, if I'm right, then we're good, you know, but like, please just trust me, go talk to somebody. So she goes up right to go talk to somebody. And I think that's when they bring, um, uh, what was it? Uh, he actually looks out the window again, right? Because of course, much like <laughs> I know, we're all kind of more nuanced with the comedy. Of course, you're gonna look out. The guy's gonna be there again when no one's around. It's it's the Michigan J Frog syndrome, right? It's <laughs> what it is. I was gonna bring that up at some point. This is like the lethal combo of Michigan J Frog and the Bugs Bunny and the Gremlin in the flames. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I just want to put out this time, this is when the, the wing walker like opens the compartment of the one engine where there's light and he's just kind of poking around. And I wrote my notes here. I was like, the wing walker is as good as sabotaging a plane as I am as fixing my own car. You know, I'm just like, I don't know. Just press things. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. He's just poking around like, does this work? I don't know. Uh, but that's when they bring more airplane drugs to, uh, to uh, Shatner's character. It's like, here, have another pill. I'm like, you know, that's that. I've never had that experience on a flight. Um, but I also pointed out here too, if I was complaining about something on the wing, the last flight I took out to Vegas was on Frontier. They would have probably listened to me and then brought somebody out outside to charge that thing on the wing for a seat. That's what would have happened. Frontier would have been like, <laughs> like Frontier would have been like, oh hey, what's up? You need to pay extra. You have a bag? Okay, cool. Yeah, like oh okay. That's what would have happened. They would not have cared that I was attacking the engines. They would have charged that thing money. And it would have been an even more expensive seat because he wouldn't have anybody near him. So I can only imagine what the cost of that would be. He would have pulled his, he would have pulled his pockets out and just showed he had nothing and he would have floated away. And that would have been the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you see him float up to like, uh, like a United Airlines flight. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Like, you know, like whatever. Um, you know, but yeah, that's why I was, I was like, if this is Frontier, they'd be like, how can we get money out of this thing? You know, <laughs> like, or they would have charged everybody else on board for the show. They've been like, listen, everybody, look outside. There's a wing walker. Ten dollars, please. You know, whatever. So for that, the show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't pay, then he does something to the to the engine. So. <laughs> oh, do you want you wanted a guaranteed safe flight? Ten dollars. You know, like. <laughs> also, there's no Wi-Fi and no movie. Like, just deal with that. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I just, I just realized that watching it, it's like, yeah, that's what would happen now, but they bring him more drugs. Uh, we have the nice bit, which is a trope now of the person that's supposed to be calm, right? Because the flight engineer comes out, like it's like what the pilot or like, it's whatever. We know it's one of the guys that's up front that, um, he's trying to tell him like what happened. And the guy says to him like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, we agree. It's, it's a problem. And, but it's like, don't tell everybody. And you, there's the bit where Shatner's like talking to him where he realizes like they're halfway through his statement. He realizes he's being put on by this co-pilot or, or pilot. Uh, and he was like, all right, well, I'm good. Thank you. Like he just realizes that he's being, um, you know, patronized. And he, and he realizes that he's like, no one's going to take him seriously. So he just sits down and takes his, uh, looks like he's taking his airplane drugs and supposedly going to be calm. That that's a that's a good moment too to show how he realizes that no one's going to believe him and he's on his own to solve this problem. Right, and then you see that it was uh, it was kind of orchestrated by the pilot or whoever he is, and the stewardess like, 
yeah, we, we got him to take one of those. Uh, he's going to be out for like six hours. Like, cool. Now we can actually like fly the plane with no problems again. Yeah. But I like that. It's like they had to show, they had to show them talking of like, like this implies that like this happens often where they have to drug their passengers, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, well, that, yeah, and please. this kind of begs the question, the sleeping pill they gave him earlier is the one they gave him now, the heavy drugs, right? You know, oh, he's going to be good for hours because the other sleeping pill wasn't going to do a damn thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, maybe it was the same one, but if you're that apprehensive and on edge, I mean, I'm sure you could will yourself through being sleepy. You know, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it's like the 50 milligram volume to the 1000 milligram. Volume. <laughs> it's like, it's like, Oh, we gave you the horse tranquilizer. Now here's the elephant one to deal with it. Yeah. But, uh, but so he, you see, he doesn't take the pill. He hides it, whatever, which is a, that's a trope now, but that's, that's a smart play on his part. Right. So at least you as a viewer realize that he is like of a sound mind kind of, um, so, the only the only quibble I have with this episode is that when he goes to get the gun from the air marshal, like we never establish the air marshal on the flight, right? We don't know if this guy's asleep, distracted, or what. But the way he gets the gun's pretty easy. I love the bit yeah. though too. Like he 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 gets closer and he knows that he can't just grab the gun because he's going to give himself away. So he throws his pack of cigarettes on the floor. <laughs> And when he goes down to get it, he he takes the gun and puts it into his lapel uh, and then and then stands back up and goes back to his seat. And if this dude is an air marshal, I'm going to tell you straight up, this dude is not doing a very good job. All right. <laughs> no, he, 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 he took the uh, thousand milligram volume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, everybody, I'm really anxious to be on this plane and I have a load of gun. Can I get some pills, please? Um, no, it's just. <laughs> Like it, it works for the story, and I'm sure they probably kind of like talked about how they're going to do this. It's like if there's a nitpick, it's just like that. Not him taking the gun. It's just that I feel like for him dropping the cigarettes very blatantly, which was funny to me, and him picking them up and the way he just kind of pulls the gun out. It's like I'm pretty sure that I would feel somebody pulling at my hip, you know. So. I think there should have been maybe a little bit of context about how the person that had the gun was like not paying attention, but whatever minor quibble. Yeah. What, one thing I have to say is I'm, I'm not sure what the uh, protocol was for gun carrying on planes back in the early 1960s, because in the story itself, um, and, and I actually like how Matheson changed it for the, uh, for the episode, but in the story, the uh, uh, Wilson character has the gun himself. He's already got it. So, oh, yeah, no, and, and this could, is, this is kind of to the point where I was talking about, he was depressed. He actually is holding it and he goes into the restroom before he starts seeing the gremlin shenanigans. And, um, he goes to the, he pulls out the gun and he's just kind of looking at it and he's, and he thinks about whenever he bought it, probably about a year before this. And he says, Oh, he convinced himself it was for protection. And then it, to quote the story yet far beneath, he'd always known there was no valid reason except one, a reason he thought more of every day, how simple it would be here now. Oof. Yeah, yeah. So it's, <laughs> so yeah, it's like, well, maybe the, maybe the breakdown the mental breakdown was going to happen. <laughs> soon rather yeah. than later well i could tell you though like until like the mid 70s mid late 70s like with the way like you could bring like because they wouldn't inspect things they wouldn't do whatever uh people would bring guns on the planes all the time like 
uh, and n- normally nothing would happen. Um, but then once the trend of like uh, hijacking kind of started really spiking, then they started yeah. taking mm-hmm. things like a little bit more seriously because at the time this is, this goes not in this episode, but like the seventies, early eighties, it was easier just to, to drop the hijacker off in Cuba or whatever than it was to deal with whatever it is. And normally when people would bring guns on board, they had no intentions of ever using it, but the airline would be like, fine, just take them where they want to go. Easier said than done. Let's just, just do it. Be done, be done, be done. So yeah. for him bringing like a loaded gun onto a plane in like the sixties, that would be very plausible in terms of like the handling, which is like, I, I understand what they did for this episode, but you're right. Like you, yeah, you could have, I mean, I don't know. You could have, you could have brought a number of things in the plane. They probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. Yeah. So, but it probably makes more sense in context of this, where he did just come back from having a nervous breakdown. So we're not going to give that dude a gun. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, so, I mean, unless he's flying in Texas, then everybody gets one. But anyway, so well, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, welcome to the flight. Here's your peanuts. Here's your gun. You know. So anyway, um, the the whole bit where he takes the gun and brings it back to the, you know, his seat and he's looking out the window. I I do like there's the the small beat of he uh, he does his seatbelt and then he asks his wife for more paper water. He's like, "Can you please go get me more paper water?" Because he knows he knows what's about to happen. And it's a nice moment of like, I I know I'm about to risk my life and those on board, but I don't want to like I'm going to lower her her chances of getting hurt and also watching me do this. That's a nice like small moment to show his humanity and him caring about his wife. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool little thing that they did that he did right there. That was pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take her out of the equation. Make sure that she doesn't possibly get injured. And we know that the pressure is going to change drastically here in a moment, too, when he pops that window. So she very well could get hurt or possibly die. And who knows what that creature is going to do if it can get to them. So so he finally psychs himself up and he he pulls the, uh, the emergency um, latch on the window. And he goes right out the window. So if he didn't have that belt on, he would have flown right out and he would have died. Um, so he, you know, he's hold his like waist. He's being held on by that tiny belt. And we see the creature slowly approaching him. And he is able to, um, Bob, that is, is able to hold up the gun and get like four shots off at the creature. And he nails them a few times too. Yeah, I, I think that's mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a nice sequence because well one, just the directing of it, right? Like you get you you feel the depressurization of the plane. You get his his being pressed against the side, just trying to hold the gun up accurately. Um, you know, we can question of whether or not if you can actually get an accurate shot off with a handgun, like at that like at that speed and that he, height. Yeah. He calculated the angle correctly. Come on. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, yeah, we, on, we missed seriously. the bit where he actually licked his thumb and held it up to the wind. Yes. <laughs> He's like, where's the wind coming from directly in front of me? I think I got this, you know, like got this as the bullet flies. Yeah. He takes a little bit of grass and tosses it to see where where it's going to go, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, but again, for the storytelling, it's great. And then, you know, then he gets the walker off, like off of that. Right. But then it just, then there's this wonderful push in on his face screaming. And then this is when we get the resolution of the episode, because then it cuts to like him, like on a gurney being wheeled out, 
of the plane, which Terry, I want to ask you the first couple shots of like the, like the emergency crew and like the cops looking down at him. Why I got like Romero vibes, like completely like Nia living dead, like, like very matter of fact, like looking up as he was being wheeled out. I don't know if you got vibes like that at all with that, but it just felt something that felt very like, cause you don't see, you don't see sequences like that where they like, it almost feels documentary like at first when they're wheeling him out of that plane. Yeah, I, it, it 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 does feel very similar, like to like the crazies or something like that. Some of his earlier work, um, and the shot of him on the floor and looking up at the marshal, uh, like a POV, that's pretty telling as well. And there's no there's no dialogue here. It's just him being uh, gurneyed out of the plane, and the only uh, the only things that are spoken to him are by his wife now, and you can see that he can't get up. So he's possibly in a straitjacket, but he's all, he also has a blanket on top of him. So they don't really clearly show if he is being detained quite yet, but I, you, the assumption can only be made. Yeah. I like that. Like the people around him that you hear, like talking about what happened and they're kind of dismissing him. And then he actually does this thing. You, this is the first time you see uh, Shatner's face, like calm, right? Like he's actually like, he's okay now. Right. And then he, he says, like, he's like, I'm the only one who knows, like, who does know for now, right? And, th- and the last shot of this, I'm going to give this to Richard, the last shot of this is a great show, not tell, right? Like, this yes. last shot's really great. Yeah, it just, the camera just pulls back over the top of the plane, actually. So you can just kind of see everyone milling around or leaving the plane and whatever else. But then you can see a picture or, the, or a shot of the wing where the plate that is pulled up to where earlier, even whenever he had people come over and the, the gremlin had pulled it up, it had somehow managed to, you know, push it back down and no one else was able to see that even something was monkeying around with it. No pun intended, but yeah, the very end of the episode has the plate pulled up some scratches along the wing there and certainly makes a spiel. Yeah. I, I just think it's a great ending because it's like, it existed in reality and people are going to realize that he's not crazy, you know? And it's yeah. like, that's, that's a great, like, that's a great button on the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very and much I think, so. And I think that it's, it, it, uh, it's almost like Bob when he leans up on the gurney, just a tad, he's kind of double checking to see if he can see the damage. And then he lays back down and says that he would be the only one that knows right now. And I think he could, what they're trying to allude to is that Bob is actually able to see the wing damage from where he's sitting at that exact moment. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a nice, it's a nice ending where he actually wins and he's not going to be like, I mean, for right now, people are going to look at him a little sideways, but I'm going to guess he's used to that for having a breakdown earlier. Uh, but he's, he's comfortable knowing that he's not crazy and that he saved everybody. And it's actually like kind of a, it's an uplifting ending of the twilight zone where the character was right. He, they went through an ordeal and they're going to be they're They're going to be um, vindicated, but it's still left on like a dark ending of like, Oh shit, this, this did happen. And people are going to eventually like freak out. You know, it's, it's an interesting line to walk where you usually get one or the other. You usually get like the, the person getting their comeuppance or everybody realizes what's going on. Like, I don't know, like this one feels like it walks a little different line and it's very, it's very modern storytelling um, that I think has, has aged well 
and it's a, it's a really cool episode. Yeah, and, and the um, ending, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm a little on the fence about it, only because when I reread the story, I totally forgot they left it completely ambiguous. Hmm. Like, yeah, well, spoiler alert, but they just wheel Wilson away. He doesn't look at the plane's wing. No one mentions the wing at all. It's just <laughs> they landed. He's being wheeled into the cart and he falls asleep. Well, I mean, th- that would work too. Like, I mean, I, I, I do prefer the ambiguous, uh, like more often than not. Uh, right. But I also feel like Matheson, obviously writing the story, had his intent writing it. And then like, he could have ended it the same way. Right. Like when he submitted yeah, it, but it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said though, but at the same time, I really did enjoy that they showed, okay. Yeah. There was something on there. Yeah. Cause we had mm-hmm. a couple, like, like there's a whole thing too in season one where there's a lot of wonderful, like, um, like purposely ambiguous, like in the good way episodes. And there was a lot, a lot of viewer feedback where it's like, tell us what happened. And so then <laughs> like, they have to kind of now like parlay a little bit of that, like, of like, Oh, okay, we'll let you know what's going on. So like, it's hard to serve all those masters. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I feel like, again, you, you mentioned it earlier in the episode about having like these nice, like quick bites of like, you know, story, uh, character and like punchline, like, um, Mm -hmm. and I think this hits those notes, right. And credit to Matheson that he kind of got to have his cake and eat it too, because he was the one that wrote the original story and that will stand on its own two legs. Cause clearly you were a fan of it and not that yeah. um, that sounds like I will never read words ever again, but I you. Said, like, why do I need words when there's pictures on the internets? You know, all I need is cat memes now. That's all I need, you know? Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I just, I think it's, it, it's like, it's almost in a way of like, um, and like when Stephen King like wrote was it whoever I don't think he wrote the screenplay for Cujo, but he was actually happy that the young boy lived in the movie because he felt that he couldn't he couldn't not have the kid die in the book. So it's like it's one of those things yeah. where it's like you could approach these stories and because you're bringing it to a different medium, it's okay to be like, well, but like this is how I felt about this and it feels better suited in that medium but what would work in this medium? And I think Matheson was smart enough uh, to know, right? That Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I liked a lot of the changes that he made, you know, some things to kind of suss out the characters a little more. And even that just because he knew, all right. Yeah. On one hand, here's a story, which it's still going to be there. But on the other hand, what's going to work better for TV? Because in the interview that I talked about earlier, he had mentioned that um, him and uh, he and Charles Beaumont were invited to, I guess, a screening of the first Twilight Zone episode because they wanted to have all these writers come in. And he said that there were only a handful of these writers that were currently publishing at the time who were really able to, um, who were able to write screenplays of their stuff effectively. Like a lot of people, they couldn't change it from one medium to the other. Or didn't try to make it too close. And you, you really can't do that. You know, especially whenever you have these long, uh, you know, monologues or exposition of the characters thinking to themselves and whatever else. So, whereas in this episode, like I said earlier, he was able to add in the wife, bring in the breakdown as opposed to the character slowly going in that direction anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to have you got to have the call to action early. Right. Especially with the short right. episodes. And I mean, you, you talk about Beaumont. Yeah. Like uh 
he was really good too. Like he would write some really out there like short stories, but he he knew how to kind of couch it and like yes. and what would pay off for TV, right? So yeah. Mm-hmm. um so yeah, like I think this I think this works. Um and I mean it works enough where where this story and uh plot have been like aped a million times in other portions of pop culture. We we talked oh, about uh yeah. we talked about Twilight Zone the movie, which I mean I'm sure we'll get to eventually and it's going to be fun. Um, just last, was it last week on an, on an invasion of the podcast that I do with my uh, co-host Steve more about him in a second. Uh, we covered the Treehouse of horror Simpsons episode that had the terror, uh, five and a half feet (laughs) 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 with, with the bus walker, whatever it was. Right. It's like, it's, it's very similar and it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And the idea of this like thing that you're looking out on the, on the wing it's been used multiple times and it is one of those things that is like definitively twilight zone and clearly it works because everybody remembers it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And it's, and it's something I mentioned to you before, whenever, before I came onto the show and I think you would even mention it. Well, you obviously have mentioned it in other episodes, but that, um, sometimes there, there are, you may thought you've already seen an episode, but then when you come to it, you realize that your knowledge of it is really from outside pop culture, not the episode itself. Yeah. And so, Terry, I mean, I know you and I have been uh, delving into the Twilight Zone, uh, the good, the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, ha- had you actually seen this episode? Like you mentioned the music cue. Had, like, I know you know the story of the Wingwalker because, I mean, clearly it's, it's a thing that's ingrained in our minds. Had you seen this actual episode before this? I don't believe I've seen this rendition of it, the original uh, show adaptation of it. Uh, but, you know, again, I was watching Twilight Zone with my grandparents when I was growing up ever since I was, I mean, like five years old. So in some some way or another, I think I saw this because some of the imagery looks very familiar to me. And it's happened with plenty of the other episodes that we've covered and they're uh, – and have been in prior uh, seasons as well. I just I know the imagery, but it was it's been oh man, I'm 37 years old, so it's probably been 30 years since I've seen some of these episodes. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think that also speaks to like the the staying power of of this, right? So um, yeah, I, I have um, I have some trivia about the episodes. Uh, Richard, I don't know if you have more notes and proper about the episode, or Terry, if you do too, before we get into some trivia. Uh, and wrapping this up, uh, yeah, I got some things here and there. Okay, please. Uh, you have you have you have the wing. Walk upon it. All right, all right. Well, now, um, actually, I got a lot of Richard Matheson stuff. Hmm. Um, things that he thought, like uh, <laughs> he actually um, he was quoted as saying that he thought the gremlin looked like a woolly bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a quote here about something about looking like a panda bear, which is not wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He said that he he actually preferred the um, version of the monster f- or the uh, gremlin from the movie rather than the uh, look that was in the uh, television show. And he said, you know, oh, if they just you know gnarled gnarled his face up a little bit, it would have ex- looked exactly like what he had in mind in the story. Having said that, though, he preferred Shatner's performance infinitely to uh, Lithgow's. Cause he said he liked John Lithgow as an actor, but then he, I think his quote was that uh, Lithgow was asked to do the impossible because the director just told him to start at 100% a and work his way up. Whereas 
Shatner was really more subdued, which still baffles me to think William Shatner subdued. Yeah. Versus John Lithgow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. I like that. You said the director, you mean George Miller, you mean of, uh, yes. Babe, yeah, Miller, Pig in the city and Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, yeah, it's a very subdued film. Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I saw on the, I saw on the trivia that like a lot of with the with uh, when they include that segment in the movie, which I don't talk too much about that because I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Uh, that a lot of the dialogue was written by Miller, and like so, so like I guess uh, Matheson, you're right, he did prefer Shatner's performance, but he also like he he appreciated Lithgow trying to do what he did, you know. So yeah. there there's that. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah. Do you have any other Matheson stuff? Because I have. I have a little bit more Matheson stuff. Um, that's pretty much the Matheson stuff, at least that I had written down. So okay. go ahead. All right, Terry, do you have any other notes about the episode? I do not. Okay. All right. So uh, the floor is not mine. <clears throat> All right. So I want to mention that um, uh, in the revival of The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access, which we just had covered season two recently, uh, the season one, episode two of the Jordan Peele series was called Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Uh, and it has Adam Scott uh, in it. It's it's a different story, but you can tell they're paying homage to a guy freaking out on an airplane. Um, I noticed at the time the name of the airline was Gold Star Airlines, and that that it, it's something that shows up again in, in other episodes of that Jordan Peele produced season. The name of the airline in this episode was Gold Star. So clearly it's a uh, reference. Okay. And then also later in that episode, there's a bit where you see debris washing up on the shore. And one of the things that show up is a stuffy stuffed animal. that looks like the wing Walker and that. So whatever. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we talked about the, the thing looking like a panda bear. All right. Two more bits of trivia. Uh, there was actually, I got three more bits of trivia. I lied. So Shatner played an elaborate prank on set when he uh, conspired with a friend of his who was visiting, uh, Ed Burns, who was on, I think, on uh, Route 66, I believe, or, or something like that. Anyway, anyway, they, they wanted to, to believe, uh, they wanted Donner to believe that something had happened where Shatner fell to his death. Um, between takes, and when Donner was off set getting coffee, Shatner and Burns staged a fake fight on the set, uh, which was suspended some 30 feet above a giant empty tank. The reason why this plane set was suspended is because of the rain. They, we saw the rain effects were going into the tank. So think about that too, by the way. Just take a step back. Oh, wow. That this was a plane set that was up in the air suspended because of the rain and how cramped everybody was and how the shots work. Because also they found out that CBS said, hey, by the way, uh, this plane that we're using, um, I think one of the major film studios is like, we want that. So they cut their shooting down by a day. And so they had to actually like like finish shooting like the second day that they were doing a lot of the interiors. So Richard, you mentioned uh, Shatner's like, like more subdued performance. I think he was exhausted from a long day, which by the way, that's the key to a good Shatner performance. Just throw that out there. Anyway. Yep. Um, so he and Burns, Shatner and Burns staged a fake fight on the set uh, above like the 30 foot above the empty tank. When Donner ran back to the studio to see what was happening, the two men chased each other around uh, the back of the airplane set and wound up atop of the wing. Donner saw a body falling off the wing and Burns yelling in terror as it impacted the concrete floor. Uh, Donner said when he ran to the fall, a motionless figure thinking it was a dead or grievously injured William Shatner, he was greeted with laughter. Um, the moment he realized it was just a, 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 like a dummy that they had found like a nearby, he, he would later say, 
honestly, my first reaction was, don't tell me I have to shoot this whole show again, which he says that as a joke. But I like the idea that they had this big tussle <laughs> and tossed this like fake dummy off a wing just to make him think that Shatner fell to his death. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I think that's a great story. Um, oh, and I have another wonderful story here in a second, but another bit of trivia. Matheson originally wanted Patricia Breslin to play, play uh, Shatner's wife in this because she had been the wife in uh, the episode uh, Nick of Time. Uh, which was also written by Matheson. I mm-hmm. I wish they would have gotten her, and I wish they would have had the same character names because that guy uh, fell falls into the trap of superstition, and I think it would have been great for like to find them like two years later where he had a nervous breakdown and now he's seeing things in a wing. It would have been amazing to have the continuation of this married couple. But anyway, um, yeah. So, all right, last bit of trivia. This is from the Twilight Zone Companion uh, by Mark uh, Scott Zacree. Uh, supposedly, so it goes, um, let's see here. Uh, this is from Sterling. Uh, Matheson and I were going to fly to San Francisco. Uh, it was like three or four weeks after, uh, the episode aired and I had spent three weeks in constant daily communication with Western airlines, preparing a, a given seat for, for Matheson, having the stewards close the curtains we set down. And I was going to say, Dick, open it up. I had this huge blown up poster stuck on the outside of the window so that when he opened it, there'd be this gremlin staring at him. So what happened was when we got on the plane, there was the seat. He sits down. The curtains are closed. I lean over and I say, Dick, at which point they start the engines and it blows the the thing away. It was an old prop airplane. He never saw it. And I had spent hours in the planning of it. I would lie in bed thinking how we could do this. That's amazing. I love that Sterling nice. was trying to set up this gag that just got blown away because of the airplane. <laughs> Rod didn't take that into account. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. So, which is yeah, funny because it. his brother actually was a pilot. So you think he would have figured that out. But anyway, uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for, for the trivia. So uh, we're just going to, we're going to rate the twist. As is customary on the show, uh, we have to figure out what the twist is in this episode and rate it one to five. Uh, Terry, I'm going to put on you first because uh, I got to think about mine. Okay, well, I, I feel like it's a little spoiled for me because I know the story so well. Um, so to give the the overall outcome, the twist, um, probably not going to ha- have something there. But the fact that he got some shots off and hit the gremlin creature... I'm going to give that a four. I didn't expect that. I thought that maybe that they were going to show it getting fired at and it would just fly away and nothing would ever have transpired about it. But the fact that he actually hit the creature, I'll give it a four. I didn't expect it. Okay. And uh, Richard, what do you, what do you give the twist? Um, are are we saying the, uh, creature getting shot no, no, whatever twist, you believe kind the, of the what, ending no, no and, it's for you like what do you believe the twist is and uh, what would you rate it I'm, I'm gonna have to say the twist was the uh ending itself whenever they show the plane wing and then the, the uh, plate is pulled up so as much as i enjoyed the ambiguity of the story uh that kind of leans me a little towards a three but i like the way they did it here in the episode so that leans me towards a four so i'm gonna have to go with a three and a half I mean, yeah, that, that's, if that's, that's allowable. No, yeah. point, point fives are allowable. That's fine. Point so fives are allowable. Point, okay, point, cool. point five. 3.5. Allowable. 3.5. A solid C plus. No, yes. like <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to like be with you guys where like, I feel like, like for me, I feel like the twist is, is that, uh, he knows what happened, but they don't know yet, which I think is a wonderful, like leaving the audience in the know. 
Uh, and, and you're right. Like, we've seen this before. I had seen this episode previously. I think this is one of the ones I watched um, when I was first formulating the idea of the podcast. Because, like, how do you not go to some of the iconic episodes, right? So, like, right. so we all we all knew where this was going. Um, but I think, I think if I was a viewer in 63 sitting down and watching this for the first time, I think my mind would have been broken seeing, like, oh, shit, this guy's actually telling the truth. Four. I think I'm going to put a four on that. So Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to put myself place in time. And, you know, it's like, so this also reminds me of a story real quick. Uh, When Stephen King was up and coming and Carrie was made into a film, it was actually being uh, shown in like, it was a sneak preview uh, for a theater. He, he and his wife, uh, what's Richard, do you know the story or no? I, I, it's what I'm thinking of. I do know. So go ahead. Uh, So Tara, I don't know if you know the story or not. Whenever they were actually going to show this, they, it was actually a predominantly African American crowd because they thought they were seeing a, uh, a red Fox film and they're like, no, 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 we're going to show you Carrie instead. So it was Stephen King and, uh, his wife, uh, Patricia was it? No, Tabitha. Tabitha's his wife, Tabitha Owens. Tabby. Yeah. Tabby. Mm -hmm. Uh, they sat down with, with this crowd that is definitely maybe not the target market for Carrie at the time. And everybody was kind of a little rowdy to begin with, but then they got to the end of Carrie whenever uh, her best friend or one of her friends is like, you know, this dream sequence at the end uh, where she goes to visit Carrie's grave and Carrie's hand bursts up through the grave and grabs her. And someone in the theater yells out, oh no, she's never going to be right. She's never going to be right again. Stephen King's like, maybe we have a hit. So I feel like, (laughs) I feel like, you know, place and time with this where it's like, you know, I got to put myself in the mindset of like, oh man, that's messed up. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah. Um, good episode. Amazing episode. Iconic yes. for Twilight Zone. This is why we watch this. Terry, thank you for putting up on season four so you could actually get to Flavor Country of uh, <laughs> Nightmare <laughs> at 20,000 feet. <laughs> Flavor Town. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I I I actually have looked forward to every episode of Twilight Zone, no matter how anybody's perception of them, uh, you know, have come down the pipe. I don't really care. I'm looking for good TV, and honestly, the majority of the time, Twilight Zone is good TV. And this is one of those episodes that maybe somebody hasn't visited the Twilight Zone in a long ass time, or maybe they've never watched it at all. This is one you need to show. Yes a future twilight zone fan like this is one of the 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 primary reasons that i watch uh horror films and television that i do this would have creeped me out as a kid and i'm sure it did i mean the the 1983 television or uh t the movie rather Mm -hmm. where they um redid this story that is nightmare inducing that is terrifying and i mean i i mean i don't think that people really like being on planes anymore unfortunately but this would be a a primary reason for me not to want to be on a plane in the first place i used to think about this when i'd be in the 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 airplane next to the wing like i used to think about this and like no i'm not going to open up the shade i'm not going to do it there might be an (laughs) ugly panda bear out there we don't know it might be Uh, yeah, this is this is the gateway drug, right? This is the gateway drug of the Twilight Zone, right? So, yeah, make them watch this, and then then give them give them the bard. I'm gonna, <laughs> uh, yeah, right, no. Bring them up, send them right back send down. Send them right back down. <laughs> yep. That way they have they they have a good baseline of highs and lows. But yeah, anyway, 
Uh, yeah, this has been a fun talk. This has been a fun episode. Uh, yeah, again, everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed the talk about Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. We have an email account. It's um, uh, strangehighwayspodcast.gmail.com. Uh, you can email us. Uh, I, I am now able to post wonderful still images of the episodes. I've been having fun doing that. Uh, again, it's been fun to find like nice uh, images. And I have some wonderful ones from this one. I cannot wait to post during the week. Um, and then also, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. That would be wonderful. And Terry, what's, what's the rest of our social media stuff? So if y'all don't like Facebook, if you're tra- dropping some of your social media is not really digging to Facebook anymore, we are on Instagram now. Who doesn't love Instagram? So check us out on there, Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, check it out. Uh, we got some good stuff going on there. We're going to put be posting a hell of a lot more stuff. I posted a few pictures today. Um, more to come. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are digging what we're putting on there at least. Yeah, and I should also throw a shout out here um, before we get to Richard pimping all his stuff, which we should, and everybody should do all that. Uh, I was just recently um, on uh, At the Devil's Ball uh, podcast with uh, friends of the show, uh, uh, Rich, I'm sorry, Samuel and uh, Nathaniel Johnson. We just did an episode talking about our favorite uh, Halloween specials, and I, you know, it would be weird to not kind of mention short form horror stuff and talk about Halloween. So check out at the devil's ball when that episode posts, uh, I will share it. It was a lot of fun. It was the first time that uh, my wife and I were podcasting together. So I think we've, reached Aww, new, I think we reached a new level nice. in terms of our relationship. I think we have. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. It was a lot of fun. So Richard, you write things, you do words, tell people about those words and how they can find you. Um, my name, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can find me at the, at ye old Facebook at, uh, facebook.com forward slash Richard staving rights. Uh, my story, um, silver bells and cockle shells is in dim shores presents volume one. You can go to, I'm sure you can Google dim shores or go to dim and you'll find the links to where you can go and purchase that book. I think uh, volume two is up for pre-order right now, but uh, buy volume one. Mine's in there. If you like it, tell me. If you hate it, tell me anyway. I don't care. I want the attention. Love me. (laughs) Love me! Um, But uh, you can find me at Facebook. You can also find me at Twitter, forward slash Richard Staving. And you can find me at Instagram, Richard Staving. I try to keep it easy. Nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, thank you for coming on the show. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw this out here. Once we uh, wrap up season five, which is going to be sometime next year, cause there's like 30,000 episodes of the season. I, I will have an open invitation for you. I've talked to Terry about this. Um, there's one, there's one slight blemish in our journey on strange highways. And it is the episode, the invaders from season two, just because Ooh. I screwed up the audio production of that episode. It's available for people to listen. It's a fun talk, but I, uh, I find that hard to believe. It does sound like we're uh. in a trash can. That's on me. <laughs> um, I will toss that out to you. I think it'd be fun to get you and Terry to talk about another Matheson episode. Oh, um, I'd love to. And, yeah. and, and I really love doing this today. Thank you very much yeah. for asking me to come on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, dude, uh, you're always welcome. It's it's been it's been a lot of fun, and you're articulate as shit. So that's just that'd be great. So, uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I do try to go for a uh, shit mouth whenever I do talk. So, yes, I just I just you gotta get your shit articulate. That's what I gotta say. Uh, but, you know, that's that's you know. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 
I got nothing for that. I, I, I can't. Yeah. No. Uh, so, um, all right. So next My, episode. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. You're about. Oh that. no, no. I was going to make some more uh, probably bad jokes. So go I ahead. Just, no, I just I was at a bar once, and there was a guy beside me, like talking to his girlfriend or whatever, and he was like bitching about something in college about a band he was in. Like, like I'm not talking like a rock band. I'm talking like a you know like brass band or whatever. And he was like, listen, <laughs> listen. I'm articulate as shit and I had to keep myself from laughing at the bar because it's like your first part of your statement is negated by the second part of your statement. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I've never not forgotten about somebody saying I'm a, I'm as articulate as shit. So yeah. So, so Richard, you are, you are articulate. <laughs> I'm as articulate as shit. <laughs> so anyway, next episode that Terry and I are doing, we were going to actually be covering uh, the film tales from the dark side, the movie. Uh, we've been circling this for quite a bit. Terry's excited about this. I'm excited about it. I'm going to have my co-host Steve from, uh, I was about to say Strange Highways. That's the show we're doing right now. Invasion of the Podcast. It's going to be a crossover Halloween spooktacular. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait to talk about that. Dude, it is so exciting to uh, talk about this movie. I have been waiting for a while to flood people's brains with knowledge about this movie. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. And then, so what's going to happen then after we cover that, we're going to take a week off because we, you know, it's, we're going to, we're going to celebrate Halloween proper and not worry about things. It's going to be fun. Um, second week in November, we're going to be covering, uh, the fourth episode of the Twilight Zone season five, a stop, a kind of stopwatch. We'll talk about that when we get there. I have a circling teaser, but I'm sure we'll get to that at the end of uh, the episode we're doing. So anyway, Let's go do it for for us, for Terry, for Richard, everybody. Uh, have a good, safe week. And um, I don't know. I mean, if you see something on the wing, just um, it's okay to, I guess, open a window and open fire. That's, that's not that is not a good thing to say in 2020. Uh, and no smoking. <laughs> definitely, definitely take the 1,000 milligram volume. Got to do it. Door secured. What? Just a little abject cowardice, that's all. <laughs>